Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into the third episode of Former Fizz. I'm your host, Jaron May, and as you probably know by now, during this interview series, I speak with previous Orange Fizz staff writers about Syracuse sports from back when they were in school. And on this episode, we aren't traveling too far back. I have a 2019 graduate with me today. He was uh, he was writing for the Fizz not too long ago, so he might be a familiar name and a familiar voice for many of you, our listeners. So let me introduce Tyler Aki. Tyler, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, Jaron. Thanks so much for having me. Really been enjoying listening to a lot of this series so far. So as I said, Tyler is a 2019 graduate. Uh, he was at SU from 2015 to 2019. So that's the time frame we're working with on this episode. And Tyler, let's hop right into it. Let's start with the football side of things. I like to start with this question during all of these interviews, just so we can lay out and kind of see who we're dealing with and what time frame we're dealing with. But my first question for you is, who were some of the best players and some of that some of the standout players you witnessed on the football field as a student at SU? Well, no doubt Eric Dungey, the first one that comes to mind because he started all four years that I was at school. Terrell Hunt goes down that first game, I believe it was against Rhode Island of my freshman year, and Eric Dungey comes in this this little freshman out of Oregon. And pretty much, except when he was injured, the rest of his four years, he started every single game for Syracuse. And he's the name that obviously stands out, goes down as one of the best leaders, competitors, and and quarterbacks in Syracuse history. Then on top of that, Dino Babers came in and just put together this run of all-American wide receivers. You had Amba Adetawo who was a great wide out for this team, a transfer from Maryland, and he only played one year with the Orange. And then Steve Ishmael, after Edatawa left, was the next guy to follow up and became an All-American. So those three were phenomenal on the offensive side. Defensively, you look at guys like Zaire Franklin. He was great for this team, a leader on this team, a three-year captain. Then you've got... Paris Bennett, who was also phenomenal. Linebackers were the strength of this defense for the majority of the time I was there. And it's funny that the one year that they had their most success on the field is the one year where linebackers actually weren't the strength. It was both the secondary and and the defensive line that was unbelievable. So those guys were all phenomenal. And then special teams-wise, Andre Schmidt wins the Groza Award my senior year. So he was great. And then, of course, who can forget? about Riley Dixon. My freshman year, he was there, and then he ends up getting drafted by the Broncos and has since gone on to play with the Giants. And then Sterling Hoffrichter, who followed up his act pretty well. Right. It kind of seems like the program, even though you were here uh, two years ago, kind of, and the you're talking about the linebackers and the wide receivers as being the strong groups of this team. And now when you look at 
ahead to this upcoming football year. Hopefully we have one. It's really the linebackers and the wide receivers that need the most help uh, going into next year. But you also touched on something that I want to get to. Dino Babers. He wasn't there your freshman year. You were in the last, your freshman year was the last year of the Scott Schaefer years uh, when he was at the helm of Syracuse. And I mean, he had one good year, Schaefer did, but then he followed that up with a three-win season and a four-win season. And then Dino Babers comes into town. What were students and what were you thinking about that change? And what was just the general opinion of Dino as he was coming in? Well, to be honest, I think, I'm not going to speak for the entire fan base, but I know there was a select group that really wanted Coach O, Ed Orgeron. Mm-hmm. And he had his Syracuse ties at the time. He was an assistant with the Orange. And he was he was a guy who was starting to pick up some steam as the next head coach at a major program. So, And then I remember doing stories, too, looking back when, when LSU um, played Syracuse about, and Coach O was at the helm. And you're hearing all these legendary stories about the character that he is today. And you're thinking – why didn't Syracuse go a little harder after this guy? Again, this is no slight at Dino, but, I mean, Ed Ogeron has a national championship under his belt. Now, can you say that he would have a national championship under his belt if he came to Syracuse? I think, Jaron, both you and I know that's probably not the case. <laughs> exactly. But when when you look at it, this program obviously would have been different with Coach O. Right. And when – when you talk about this kind of stuff, too, I mean, Coach O was one of theirs. He was an assistant on their team and all that. And basically everything you heard was Syracuse never really reached out. And he wanted to come to Syracuse. And there was a contingency of former players, too, that also wanted him to be the next head coach. And I forget who it was, but someone started a, a letter to get Coach O to be the next head coach of Syracuse and put it into, I can't remember who the AD was at the time. I don't think it was, maybe it was John Wildhack. And they wanted him to to hire Coach O and it just, it never really saw the, saw the eyes it needed to, or at least they didn't act upon it. So that, that I always found interesting. But when Dino came in, obviously things changed. You could feel that things were changing because everything just had a different feel. It was a, an upbeat feel to the program. I mean, his, his intro press conference, he kind of leads it off with a bang with the close your eyes and imagine all this, uh, an offense that never huddles right. uh, uh, and all that good stuff, a defense that's super fast, uh, a special teams that's well coached. So he did offer plenty of promise to the program, but I just remember, and again, the hindsight maybe is, is kicking in and, changing my my view of things a little bit but I remember Coach O being one of those names that was brought up that would have been that would have been fun to see Coach O at Syracuse and in in the orange as the head coach instead of just an assistant um, but I, I also do agree even if he was here I don't think the orange are seeing a national championship game uh, in the near future so uh, let's move on. So in in your four years at Syracuse you went through three seasons that were four and eight. Uh, not great. I mean, probably pretty disappointing, but then you were finally rewarded your senior year with the best 
Syracuse football year in recent history when they went 10-3 and and capped off the season with a Camping World Bowl victory. So my first question is just how kind of sad and miserable was it for those first three years? And then how sweet was it to be able to cap it off with with that victory in the bowl game and, and really how it did end up that final season? Well, here's the thing about football during my time there. It okay. was a gradual progression every year. So the first year, you, you kind of build, build your foundation of, of what your expectations are going to be. And it's a very, very bad Syracuse team. Goes, goes four and eight. I mean, the coach got fired right before the final game, but they're letting him coach the final game, and they carry him off on his shoulders yep. after they, they hit a game-winning field goal. Then the next year, you've got a new coach, so that, that offers a little bit of promise there. Then the year after that, you beat number two Clemson, and that kind of puts Syracuse on the map. You're feeling okay, but after that game, they don't win another football game, which was a little deflating for the program. Mm -hmm. But then that next year, you could kind of tell that maybe losing every single game after that Clemson win kind of lit a fire under them of, we can do this, we can be a really good football team. And, I mean, Eric Dungy plays in every single game, which is something that, as Orange fans, we had not yet seen. He had missed time with injury in every single season so far, so... I don't know why either, but I just had this feeling, yeah, Dungy's going to play all 12. Now, he didn't finish all 12. There was the game against Notre Dame where he got hurt, the game against Florida State where he got hurt, the game against UNC where he got pulled. And, I mean, there there were games where he just wasn't himself, but overall, I mean, the warrior, the competitor, the, the just desire to do anything that was best for the team, that's what I'll always remember about Eric Dungy and that 10-win season because – he was the motor. He was everything for that team. And just watching him going out and compete, no doubt. Basketball, football, lacrosse, any sport that I saw in my time at Syracuse, he was the greatest competitor. Wow. And he obviously put together a lot of great games his senior year, but you also have that Clemson win your junior year. So my next question for you, out of all the games that you were able to witness as a student at SU, what would you say was the best game you watched? So you're talking, are you talking about in person I was there or just I was a student at the time? Let's just say, two very different answers. Let's, well, let's just say as a student in general. Okay, so as a student in general, best game I, I was, I, uh, I, I guess I wasn't there for it, but I, I was working for it. It was the Clemson game, no doubt. The, just the, party after i mean <laughs> everyone that they they get this huge upset people storm the field i'm locked up away back at the waer studios hosting the game so i'm, I'm not there unfortunately but i'm watching on tv and you get to this point where they they score that first touchdown and you something weird starts to to go through your spine you're thinking <laughs> you know they might be able to do this it's a short week the the quarterback for Clemson, um, I think it was Kelly Bryant at the time, he wasn't fully 100%. In comes Zarek Cooper, who wasn't great. They had uh, Hunter Johnson as uh, another backup. He was a five-star. I think Zarek Cooper was only a three-star. Maybe he was a four-star. But it seems like they didn't put the, the better guy in, and I think they wanted Hunter Johnson to redshirt, and eventually he transfers away from the program. But 
everything's sort of lining up and they're hanging and, and doing it and they're holding their own. And then you get to that fourth quarter and everyone's thinking, all right, strap in. You, you've, you've watched this team so many times blow some of these leads. And then you, you watch that fourth quarter. And this is a team that, you know, Jaron is predicated on moving fast, fast, right. fast. Yep. How are they going to sit on the ball and try to kill some of this clock? And they held the ball for almost 12 minutes in that fourth quarter. And that was one of the more impressive things that I saw out of that team the entirety of my Syracuse tenure. Awesome. Well, so that's the best game. Now on the flip side, I want to ask, what was the worst game? Whether that be it, it was a heartbreaker at the end or it was just a blowout that you had to sit through or you had to witness or you had to watch on TV. What was the worst game you saw Syracuse football play while you were on the hill? I think the most deflating, definitely Notre Dame. My senior year, they're playing at Yankee Stadium. And, I mean, listen, Syracuse had a lot of bad games while I was there. They had blowouts. I mean, the year before they beat Clemson, you got to remember, they they lost, I want to say it was like 63 to nothing or something (laughs) like that. It was bad, really bad. Dungey got hurt and all that stuff. But definitely that Notre Dame game because – this is a team who's riding high. You're taking on a really good Notre Dame team, and you kind of feel like you've got a chance. And the game's being played in New York, even though I think it's technically a Notre Dame home game. So you figure, okay, you'll have a solid Syracuse contingency. And then you walk into Yankee Stadium, and it is mostly Notre Dame fans. I mean, you have small patches of Syracuse fans, but that whole weekend too, because remember, that was the weekend – Syracuse was also playing in the garden in, I want to say it was the 2K Classic. Yep. So the Orange just gets steamrolled that entire weekend. (laughs) I mean, the only team that held their own was women's basketball who played in Westchester on the Wednesday. Then the Thursday Syracuse basketball, they play against UConn, get... I mean, I think the final score only showed eight or nine points, but it was a much bigger deficit than that. Friday, get blown out by Oregon in one of the few games that Bull Bull actually played <laughs> as a college player. Right. And then the next day, they go to Notre Dame, or they play Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium in this game that's all hyped up. You're on NBC. You've got an alum like Tariko on the call, and they just get beat, absolutely destroyed. I mean, never had a chance. It felt like Eric Dungy goes out with a an injury on the, the second or third drive, I want to say it was. It was really early in the game. Never comes back. And never even comes out of the locker room. His back must have tightened up. It was so bad. And Tommy DeVito, you thought, okay, he's bailed him out before a couple of times. Can he do it again? And, I mean, nothing against DeVito, but that, that Syracuse offensive line did not give him a lot of time to throw either in that game. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a pretty common uh, scenario for Syracuse football recently. Tommy DeVito not having enough time because of the offensive line. But let's talk about something that you kind of just hinted at, and let's, let's switch over to the basketball side of things. Your freshman year, it was the 2015-2016 basketball season. That's when Syracuse gets bounced in the first round of the ACC tournament by Pittsburgh, so they don't even make it past a game in the ACC tournament. But then they go into the NCAA tournament, March Madness, as the 10 seed, and they go on a Cinderella run. They make it all the way to the Final Four. 
So my question for you is, after being bounced from the ACC tournament and going into March Madness, you get a 10 seed. You're not really that highly touted. You, Syracuse doesn't have too high of expectations for this March Madness tournament. How much confidence did you have in that team, and how surprised were you when they went on that streak? So here's the the best way to set that whole thing up, okay? Back in 2016, that team had a lot of ups and downs. They had some great moments. They had some some awful moments. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they beat Duke on the road in Cameron, but they also they lost some games that they they really had no business losing. So and they didn't they they needed to get it felt like they needed to get an ACC tournament win and it came down to a game against Pitt in the first round of the ACC tournament they lose Trevor Cooney has a shot at the end he shoots it a little early I think but the shot clocks on top of the the hoops in that game actually went out so he may not have known how much time was actually on the clock so that's another little wrinkle to that. So you're sitting on pins and needles, but you feel like, okay, if they win an ACC tournament game, they're in. If they don't, they're out. They go, they they don't win that game, and so you're feeling like they're out. Maybe they can slide into a first four. But then the day of Selection Sunday, so Selection Sunday happens, what, 3, 4 o'clock usually? Right. And about an hour or two before, the bracket leaks Somehow someone got their hands on it and and puts it out. It's floating all over Twitter. And you see Syracuse as a 10 seed. And we're thinking to ourselves, what? Like, (laughs) again, this committee really had to have taken into account the games where Jim Beheim did not coach. Because remember, he was going to serve that suspension. Yep. And it was supposed to be in in ACC play. I think he was supposed to have missed the first nine or eight league games. And instead, they just kind of throw it in out of nowhere and say, all right, we're going to start this now. And he starts it near the middle to end of the non-conference slate. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, like how much that like that is going to be the deciding factor of how much the committee values Syracuse as a good team is how much they are going to take into account the games that they lost during Mike Hopkins, because I think Hopkins ended up going four and five yep, during did. that nine game stretch. So you see that, you see the bracket, you see them as a 10 and you almost don't want to believe it, but you look at everything else on there and everything else pretty much adds up in terms of who should be in, who should be out. And so you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe this thing is real, but you're still kind of skeptical that like you want to hear, Greg Gumbel say Syracuse is in the tournament yeah. <laughs> to yeah. really feel confident. In it. Yeah. And I mean, the, then the rest is history. They get in, they have a, a pretty dominant win against Dayton. And then the next game, remember Michigan state. I remember being in the locker room during that Michigan state, middle Tennessee state game. And everyone's kind of huddled around watching and they're like, Whoa, like, we might not be playing Michigan State. We might be playing Middle Tennessee State. And they go, they dominate them. Uh, Gonzaga was a great game. I was at the Gonzaga, and I was at the the Virginia Miracle game. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the confidence level that you had in that team, looking back on it, you really should have been – that team should have been better in terms of seeding. Yep. When you look at the guards that they had, Michael Benajay was – uber consistent i mean the guy had double digits every single game you think 
think Elijah Hughes, that that's kind of what Michael Benege was, except he was the point guard. And he he did an amazing job that entire season of just kind of controlling the surroundings of that team. And, and he was phenomenal at that. Trevor Cooney, another very good veteran presence. He got a lot of crap during his time at Syracuse, but towards the end of that season is when he played his best basketball. The numbers may not show it, but he played his best basketball towards the end of the year. And that really helped that team. You had some really good freshmen on the roster too. Frank Howard was a backup who saw very little time, but he saw some meaningful minutes. Then you got Tyler Lydon, who was great all year round, pretty much as the sixth man of the team. And then Malachi Richardson, the lone freshman in the starting lineup. That guy you knew was going to be a star for Syracuse. And a lot of Orange fans wish, it, wish that he stayed a little bit longer, but you can't blame him. When you're getting a first-round grade and it's your dream to go to the NBA, you go. And he, he put together that miraculous tournament run and ends up going to the NBA. And that, then the rest kind of works itself out from there. But Malachi Richardson, he had some really good games, like obviously the Virginia game, but he had some really bad games too. Yeah. There was a game where my I, – I, I remember it was against St. John's. And if my memory serves me correct, he went 0 for 10 or 0 for 11 from three. And to me, everyone saw that as, okay, this is awful. But to, <laughs> but to me, I kind of saw it as, what freshman has the cojones to <laughs> still be chucking those type of shots after he's 0 for 10, 0 for 11? Sort of like that irrational confidence guy that you hear about all the time. Yeah. And I think that was something, even though he played so awful in that game, I knew this kid had confidence. He had swagger. He had moxie. And he was going to help this team win some games. Yeah. And it eventually plays out in the NCAA tournament. And he goes on and becomes a first-round pick. Yeah. So that's your freshman year. And then after your sophomore year, Mike Hopkins leaves the program. Obviously, it's a big blow for the entire program, especially in their recruiting department. But when the news broke and you were a student on campus, what was your initial thought? And kind of as the story was kind of uh, continuing to go, how did you take that and what were your opinions on Hopkins leaving and how the program would react to that and try to fill that void? Well, we thought recruiting would be the thing that took the biggest hit. And, and so far you have kind of seen that with the team. I mean, Syracuse, you kind of got used to getting these five-star guys, McDonald's All-Americans. And I think the only McDonald's All-American that – I guess Daywan Coleman also was a McDonald's All-American, if I remember correctly. But the only guys really that were these highly touted recruits while I was there, it was Malachi Richardson. I mean, you had some really good players that were being recruited there. Tyus Battle was really good. I mean, Torian Thompson, Matthew Moyer – were really good in, in that class as well, um, but and Jalen Carey too. But you you just kind of felt like the recruiting dipped off a little bit, and I think we were all kind of excited for Hop because it felt like Hop had a great relationship with the media, and he, I mean, Beheim Beheim's Beheim, all right. Mm -hmm. So he <laughs> you love him or you hate him, 
and not that we hated him, but we were kind of ready to to get some some interesting quotes. Beheim doesn't always give the the most interesting <laughs> of stuff. It's a lot of the generic stuff, and, yeah. and it's a lot of you're going to get yelled at sometimes. With Hopper, we didn't feel like we were going to get yelled at. Yeah. But it, and that that is what it is. But no, I think we were all kind of looking towards the Hop uh, administration, and, and I guess we, we never ended up getting it, but. I mean, it's really tough to push a guy out who has been there for over 40 years, and you let him leave on his own terms. That is the way it has to go, and and that is the way it will go with Jim Beheim. He's going to leave on his own terms, and he deserves that because without Jim Beheim, there is no Syracuse. You're not going to Syracuse. Uh, there's no reason why Syracuse shows up on a map. I mean, I'm looking at a little map that I have on my wall right now, and Syracuse, there's a it shows Syracuse. That's not showing up without Jim Beheim, <laughs> and, and that's why you you let him leave on his own terms. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, now, before we wrap up, I have one final question for you, and I've asked this question to all of my guests so far, uh, and I just want to see what you put together. If you could put together a starting five with players just from when you were on campus, so from 2015 to 2019. Who would be in that starting five and why? All right. So so do you want it as like the five best players or do I have to break it down by position? Uh, position, yeah. You got you got to put okay. together a starting five. All right. So my point guard, no doubt. Definitely Michael Benege. He was the best. He, he was the most consistent player I saw at Syracuse during my time. Okay. My shooting guard is – my shooting guard is Tyus Battle, clutchest player that I saw at Syracuse during my time and okay. a great score had some big shots too. You think the Clemson game, the Georgetown game was great down the stretch against Duke, uh, in his final season. So Tyus is on there small forward. I'm going to go with Malachi. Elijah Hughes was solid, but he wasn't the Elijah Hughes that we saw this past season. Right. So Malachi was my favorite three that I saw. At the the four spot, see see these big guys are where it starts to get tricky <laughs> <laughs> because because Syracuse they have not doesn't done a, have any a, a great job and maybe I'm I'm forgetting someone but oh actually no okay yeah I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Andrew White I'm gonna go maybe that's cheating a little bit but and I'm going a little small ball but Andrew White definitely. Okay. The, the one of the better scores that Syracuse had during my time there. So I'll go I'll go with Andrew White. He he broke the the single season Syracuse three point record and he was just a, a very consistent heady scorer. Okay. And at the center I'm gonna go Tyler Lydon. He 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 flip flopped between the four and the five, but he was great as an anchor, had a number of key blocks. You think of the the Gonzaga game and the NCAA tournament as just a freshman and then I mean, he was he was phenomenal for what that team was his sophomore season, too, when many times he was really the only defensive-minded player out on the, the floor. So he, he really had to hold it down defensively his sophomore season. So there's my five right there. Not nearly the five. I heard your episode with DA. Not nearly the five that DA had. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna we're gonna piece all these together once we get through the the entire uh, series of former Fizz, and we'll see who has the best starting five. But that's all I got for this third episode. Tyler, thanks so much for coming on. 
Hey, thanks so much, Jaron. It was a lot of fun. All right, make sure you listen in to all of our previous and future interviews by searching Orange Fizz on SoundCloud or by finding the articles on our website, orangefizz.net. But for now, I'm Jaron May. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.